John 4.43-54 After the two days he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that prophet has no honour in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine, and there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. Come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Well, uh, welcome to Humble Bible Church in It's great to have you guys here. And welcome to you if you're online and you're watching us online. I want to apologise to the online listeners uh, because I'm actually posting online and then they get me preaching online as well. And I think in the second post spot I say something like, wasn't that a great job? a summer school this week and so he needs to be very careful about his movements uh, because there are a whole bunch of missionaries who are about to get on a plane a week after after seeing the summer school and head back overseas to their various countries where they're serving Jesus and so he can't be the one who brings COVID to the conference Um, and so he's just being a little more careful about his movements at the moment. So here I am. Well, let's have a look at John chapter 4. It's a great passage. And the first question I want to ask is, does the Bible contradict itself in, the, in this passage? Or does Jesus get it wrong? Some people uh, think that the Bible is full of contradictions. In one place it says this, and another place it says that. Uh, and so therefore you can't really believe anything that it actually says. Or maybe you think that the Bible you know, is, is a little bit like a COVID policy statement or a document. You know, you're told to isolate and you're not told to isolate, you're told to get a PCR test and then you're not told to get a PCR test. And it's just so hard to know exactly what to do in the case of being in close contact or are you in close contact or should I isolate or don't have to isolate, can I go back home and open the systems? Do I have to wait for seven days or 14 days? What is it? Who knows? Is the Bible look like a kind of policy statement? In John 4, we seem to have a bit of a contradiction. Have a look there in verses 43 to 45. Um, this is what it says. It says, after the two days, so he's been in Samaria, after the two days, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honour in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he'd done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival. For they had also been there. Can you see it there? Galilee is this uh, region in northern Israel. That's Jesus' home country. That is where Nazareth is, right? And, and, and he 
in his own country. And yet when he arrives in Galilee, it says that Galileans welcomed him. And this wasn't just a regular welcome. They'd seen the miracles that he'd done in Jerusalem in the south. They knew he was something special. And they welcomed him. So did Jesus get wrong? Do you think that they would run? Well, what we'll see as we keep working through this passage is that rather than these verses being a problem for the Bible's reliability, we'll actually see that this helps us to understand Jesus more and particularly understand the nature of faith in Jesus. But before we get there, let's do a little bit of background and context. This is the book of John, it's one of the four Gospels, uh, the four biographies of Jesus' life, death and resurrection in the Bible. And the Holy Spirit has actually given this book for a particular purpose. And the purpose is is that we might have a personal relationship with Jesus. So in John chapter 20, this is what it says. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these ones are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so as John writes down his biography of Jesus, it's not just an interesting read for him, he is hoping and praying that as we read this biography with an open mind and open heart, that we would accept Jesus as our King and our Saviour. And through faith, he says, you can have eternal life in his name. And so one of the ways that this book leads to belief in Jesus is is the way it kind of talks about these signs or miracles. We don't get to see uh, the miracles ourselves, but we hear the testimony of those who were there and saw those things take place. And each sign tells us a bit more about Jesus. So last week we saw the first sign where Jesus turns water into wine in chapter 2. And in our passage we read the second sign. So in verse 54 it finishes like this. It says, this was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. And so each week in this series, we're going to look at one of those signs. We'll see different people respond to Jesus in different ways. And and, and you'll see that people ask questions, people doubt, people believe, people want to kill Jesus as a result of his signs. And every chapter, it asks us, the reader, this question. Who do we think Jesus is? What is our attitude towards him? So let's see what actually happens in Galilee. Verse 46, once more he visited Cana in Galilee where he had turned the water into wine and there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that he had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. So he arrives in Cana, which is the very same place where he turned water into wine and a man comes down from Capernaum. Now where's Capernaum? It's about 40 kilometres north of Cana. It's a little bit like uh, about a two-day walk, I guess. So who is this guy who came, comes from, uh, from, from Capernaum to Cana? Well, he's a royal official of some time, kind. He's probably in the family of Herod or he worked for Herod and his son was probably a young child, a preschooler age uh, a child or, or perhaps a primary school age child and he wasn't just a little bit sick but he's actually dying from some kind of infectious disease. 
that we, we learn this a little bit later on. And it only takes a few moments for us to think about this where our heart goes out to this man. There are very few things in life that are as gut-wrenching as seeing one of your children sick, let alone close to death. To see your own kid, who you've conceived and given birth to and raised, suffering and dying, that would be absolute agony. When I was a kid, I was pretty sick. I spent uh, weeks at a time in ICU, months in hospital, and it's kind of a complicated story, and you don't have to feel sorry for me or anything like that. I'm fine now. But essentially, uh, I kind of put myself in my mum and dad's shoes, and the only other child my age at the time who had the particular disease I had died from inter internal bleeding. And I never really understood the severity of my condition when I was five or six or seven or eight or anything like that. I never really understood it. And it wasn't really until one of my own kids went to hospital for some unknown virus that I understood just how hard it must have been for mum and dad to look on me and know that I could die as a five-year-old kid. The cry for help from the royal official was the cry of a desperate man. Remember, this man has no issue with money. He would have been able to access the very best health care in the region at the time. But there he was begging Jesus to heal his son who was close to death. And our heart ought to go out to him. But I want you to notice who he is. It's very deliberately put there in the text. It says he is a certain royal official. Now literally, it just says a royal a royal came to Jesus, a royal, one of Herod's people, Herod the Tetrarch, the ruler of this part of Israel under the Romans, one of his people, maybe one of his family members even, came to Jesus. Now, why does that matter? Well, it challenges who we think need Jesus, needs Jesus. This man was closely connected to power. He was closely connected to wealth and stability, but it still can't help him. Now, I like to think that I'm pretty well connected to power at the John Hunter Hospital. There are lots and lots of doctors from our church there. And once I went to the John Hunter for my eldest, she had this kind of unknown virus. She was pretty sick for a few days. And uh, in fact, one of the days she slept for 21 out of 24 hours. It was quite an impressive feat. And some of the doctors of Hunter Bible Church at the time, they would just swing by our room just to check in and see how we were doing. They couldn't, but they couldn't really do anything else to help. I, I was connected to power, or so I thought, and it was comforting, but it was actually out of their hands as well. And that is the situation this man is in. He is connected to power and wealth and everything is on his side and yet he travels 40 kilometers looking for Jesus. And I think we should take note of this. There will be a time when our family or our company or our doctors or the health system will actually let us down. We'll come across needs in our life or our family. We'll come across needs that the doctors or vaccines cannot meet. And sometimes we're tempted to think, as long as I'm connected, as long as I'm invested in good things, my life will be fine. 
If I get a good job at a good company and I'll have financial security, a place to belong and everything will be fine. If I'm with the Hunter Area Health System or Defence or a big finance company, when, when difficult times I have the resources then and I'll be fine. If I'm investing in exercise and, and diet and, and, and looking after my mental health and surrounding myself with good people, then, then I'll have everything that I need to get by. But this royal official shows us that's not the case. Now, maybe you've expected, you've experienced that already. But if not, we need to be aware that there will, there will be times in our lives where sickness or, uh, you know, anything, any other kind of crisis where everything that's around us will not actually be able to fill us in the way that we might think. And where do you go at this point? Will your desperation drive you to Jesus? Well, that is where this man finds himself, begging at the feet of Jesus. And what Jesus says next is kind of a little bit shocking. Have a look there in verse 48. This is what he says to this desperate man whose son is dying. He says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. Now, what do you expect Jesus to say at that point? You, you, you kind of expect Jesus to say, yeah, thanks for coming, no problem, I'll help. Did you, did you really walk 40 kilometres all the way from Cana down to, from Capernaum down to Cana in order to be here? Wow, I've never seen such faith in Israel. But instead, he says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. Now, where's the empathy? <laughs> where's the emotional intelligence, Jesus? Jesus uses this situation to rebuke the man and rebuke the people who are there for unbelieving hearts. So what's going on? Well, this is how we make sense of that puzzle in verses 43 to 45. Remember, the hometown doesn't honour the prophet, but the Galileans welcomed him, it says. And that's what's going on. There is a difference between welcoming Jesus and honouring Jesus, if you like. The Galileans, they welcome Jesus, and the reason they welcome Jesus is they love the signs. I think they would have especially loved the water into wine sign, right? He's a guy who can create unlimited alcohol for all of our parties. This is Dan Murphy Jesus. <laughs> yes, let's welcome him, says Australia. Or here is the guy who can cure our sicknesses. Let's welcome him. But here's the problem, they don't honour him. The kind of belief they exhibit is, is not what Jesus is looking for. If you like, we can put it like this. They welcome Jesus for what he can do, but not for who he is. You see this clearly in uh, ch chapter 2 of John. It says there, um, Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind for he knew what was in each person. So, so even there at Passover, he's accepted. It even says that many people believed in his name but he did not entrust himself to them because he knew, he knew that their acceptance was based merely on what he could do for them. This is a very big contrast to the Samaritans that we saw earlier in John chapter 4 who didn't just welcome Jesus, they actually honour him. 
This is what it says just before our passage today. Verse 39, it says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Not because of the signs, because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. See the Samaritans' faith, their trust in Jesus here, they believed that he was the Messiah, the King, the saviour of the world, they believed in him personally and actually made him their Lord. And it's not because of the signs, it's because they have been taught by Jesus, they've listened to the words of Jesus and placed their trust in him. But when he goes to his hometown, they welcome him, but what kind of welcome is this? And Jesus is using this opportunity with the royal to challenge the people in Galilee. He's saying, what kind of faith do you have? Do you honour Jesus or only welcome Jesus? Do we welcome him, do we love him for who he is or only because of what he can do for us? Now, the way to work this out for yourselves is, is to think about what are your if statements. These are the mental deals that we might be making with Jesus. Um, we do this all the time. If you can do this for me, Jesus, then I'll believe in you. Let me give you some examples. Jesus, if you can make me better, I'll believe in you. Jesus, if you can find me a spouse, I'll believe in you. Jesus, if you can give me a job, I'll believe in you. And you can just add whatever it is into that statement. It might be accommodation, or a conflict resolution, or a legal issue, a family thing. Our belief is all about what Jesus can do for me so often, isn't it? And you know, I find this hard. Because when you look around at, you know, 30 years age and 40 years of age and 50 and 60 and 100, is anyone 100 here? No one 100 yet. You think, life has not turned out the way I expected. And that's when we're tempted to put conditions on Jesus. That's our natural human response. And what it does is it, it kind of exposes the type of faith we have in him. Am I for Jesus because of who he is, the saviour of the whole world? Or am I into Jesus for my own gain? You know, I've actually watched um, many people over the years put conditions on their faith in Jesus. And what I've noticed is that when people do that, even if those conditions are fulfilled, there's always another set of conditions around the corner. See, if our trust in Jesus is not because of who he is, if it's not in the person of Jesus and him alone, our faith, our faith actually always rests on this knife edge of circumstance. Real honour is to say, there's no if in our relationship, Jesus. There's no deal that's required. You are my king, you are my saviour, I am your servant, I am for Jesus. And it doesn't matter if I don't get better. It doesn't matter if I don't get married or don't get the job or don't find the perfect church. You are my king, you are my saviour, I am for you, Jesus. And that's the challenge to us from verse 48. And we'll actually see that this challenge kind of continues all the way through the book of John. Now, it's hard to tell at this moment what the royal official 
made of this rebuke, aimed at him, but also at the crowd. But I think what we see in this man is someone who has a genuine trust in Jesus. And yet, he's actually still willing to ask Jesus for things. And so have a look what happens. It's almost as if he doesn't hear, hear the rebuke, or maybe he hears the rebuke and he just kind of wears it on the chin, but knows the situation is just so dire for his son. And so this is what happens, verse 48. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. Now, now what's going on here? Is this genuine faith or faith with conditions? Is this request of Jesus completely unreasonable? Just because we trust in Jesus, friends, doesn't mean we can't ask him for stuff. We can pray for healing. We can pray for the job. We can pray for a great relationship. There are all things, there are all good gifts that God loves to give his children. But then look what happens when Jesus says, go, your son will live. He doesn't need to see the miracle, does he? He doesn't kind of dilly-dally around and say, yeah, but Jesus, how will I know? Can't you just come with me? Can't you just come down to the town and, and place your hands on him? Now, somehow the official is able to take Jesus at his word, it says. So he hears the words, your son will live, and he begins the journey right away. And right there is a sign that this man has a saving faith in Jesus. It's confirmed a little bit later on when we see the outcome of Jesus' words, but he takes Jesus at his word and goes home. And friends, that's the sort of trust we want to have, yeah? A faith where we hear the words of Jesus and where we just take Jesus at his word, where, where, where we listen and there's no ifs and no buts, but we just, we just trust his promises to us. Friends, I pray that we as a church would have that simple but profound trust in Jesus. Now, I've talked a lot about faith already today, but remember the signs are actually all about Jesus. So what do we see about Jesus here? And the first thing we see is that Jesus is compassionate. So the royal official starts out with this kind of immature faith in Jesus. He was like the Galileans, he wanted a miracle from Jesus rather than honouring Jesus as the Messiah. He was, he was desperate, but Jesus shows him compassion regardless. And this is a great comfort to us, I think, with our immature faith. You know, even if we find ourselves loving Jesus, loving, loving Jesus for what he can do for us and not so much for who he is, we've, we've heard that challenge, but Jesus, we see here, is not judging us if we don't no, or we're not sure, or if we're desperate. If we come to Jesus and cry out for help in our desperation, he won't turn us away. Remember Jesus and come to him. Someone uh, this week shared a prayer with me known as the pastor's prayer. And it's uh, called the pastor prayer, but I reckon you, know, you guys could take it on pretty easy. It goes like this. Jesus... Help, 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 help. And that's been my prayer for the last two years of COVID, right? Help, 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 help. Pray that we might continue to pray like that. And we know that Jesus is compassionate and gracious and kind and he will answer our prayers. 
The second thing, though, we see here is that Jesus is powerful. Distance is not a problem for Jesus. He didn't need to travel 40 kilometers to Capernaum in order to touch that boy or to pray over the boy or to just see the boy. Now, now at times, as we go through Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, we see Jesus chooses to touch. At times, he, he actually makes his way to the sick, like in Mark chapter 5, where he goes with the father of the little girl who has, who has actually died by the time he gets there, and he, and he takes her by the hand, he touches her by the hand, and he says to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. But he, he actually doesn't need to be there. Jesus' power is not limited by proximity. But this does make us ask the question, why didn't he go? And this leads us to the third thing we see about Jesus. Jesus gives life. There's a little phrase there that's repeated in John chapter 4. Have a look there in verse 50. He says, go, Jesus replied, your son will live. John chapter 4, verse 53, then the father realised that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And the man just takes Jesus at his word, remember. And what we see here is that Jesus, the saviour of the world, can give life with just a word. Do you see who Jesus is? Flick back with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, this is the way the whole of John's gospel begins. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. Now this part of the Bible, if you're not familiar with it, is talking about Jesus as the Word. And you could spend all day kind of unpacking this idea, but what we see here in these verses is that Jesus is the word of life. In him was life. So through him, all things were made. Life began through him. There's nothing in this world that, that, that has life unless Jesus is the one who has spoken life into it. And here he is, the word of life now, speaking to one of Herod's officials his boy is dying and there is nothing left to do but to walk 40 miles, 40 kilometres and beg Jesus. And Jesus gives life with just a word. Your son will live. Jesus, friends, is the word of life. Now, when, when this guy gets home, he, he, what, he, what happens is he works out that the same time that Jesus spoke this word of life was the same time his son got better. And what takes place is he and his whole household believe, everybody in the family, including the son, believes. And I, and I think we can take this to be belief in the full sense, right? This is not Dan Murphy's faith. But, but like the Samaritans, belief that Jesus was the King, that He was the Messiah, that He was the Saviour of the world and that in Him there is life. And what's beautiful about this passage is that this man began the week seeking life for his child, he encounters Jesus, the Word of life, and he gains something far better than just life for his child. He gains eternal life 
for himself and for his whole household, which probably meant not only his family members, but his servants as well. This is a wonderful, wonderful gift that Jesus has given him. And so to finish up, I just want to ask two questions. The first question is this, do do you have life? Have you trusted in the death and resurrection of King Jesus? Have you taken Jesus at his word and believed in him? If you haven't, then then I want you to know this is not a sham, right? You can have eternal life. And we don't know whether God will choose to make your circumstances better if you trust in Jesus or not, but we do know for certain that he will make your eternity far better than you could possibly imagine. And all we need to do is hear the words of Jesus and believe. This is what Jesus says to us in the very next chapter. It says in chapter 5, verse 24, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has, has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. See what I'm saying there, friends? If you hear the words of Jesus and, and like the official take Jesus at his word, then you can have eternal life. And the image here is one of crossing over from death to eternal life, to life with Jesus forever. And the picture is kind of jumping off a sinking ship and onto a life raft that will take you into eternity with Jesus. If you haven't spoken with Jesus about this, then now is the time. Don't let the moment pass. Get off the sinking ship and choose life with Jesus. If you have more questions, we'd love you to let us know that. You can fill, the, fill out the Connect card and, and, and let us know you're, you're keen to come and chat more about Jesus. But don't let the moment pass. But for those of us who might have been in church for a long time, here's a different question. Do you believe that the best news in this story is not the healing? Think about why Jesus performs this miracle, yeah? So John chapter 30, verse, just John chapter 20, verse 31. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the ultimate goal, goal of this sign. It shows us who Jesus is. It shows us that he is the eternal word of life. It shows us what he is like. It shows us that he has compassion on the official and his household and he's powerful and he can do miracles from a distance of 40 kilometres and the sign is written down for us. Why? So that we might believe and have life in his name. And the sign has that purpose for the family that was blessed by the miracle as well. This all took place so that they might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and have life in his name. And this challenges what our ultimate goal for our lives might be, or the ultimate goal for our family might be. Is it a good education, a good job where you're respected, or maybe just one you can keep, some stability, comfort and security? Nothing lavish, but I just don't want my family to be in need or in want. Sport accolades. Or, or maybe not even having sporting accolades for our family, but because, you know, because let's face it, there's, there's not a lot of us who are going to make it. But, but maybe just opportunity to pursue those kind of sporting accolades. Or is it good health? All of these things are so tempting to pursue, right? I want my kids 
to have all of those opportunities. I, I wish I had the time and the money to help them to pursue all of those different things. But what we see in this passage is that the best thing that we can pursue is belief in Jesus and life in His name. That is the best thing we can pursue for ourselves and that is the best thing we can pursue for our families. And in the Bible, what happens is is that when, when someone trusts Jesus, the whole household is wrapped up in that. Jesus actually becomes the Lord of everybody in the household. It's actually the very best thing that we can pursue, not just for us, but for our families, and not just for our families, but for everybody who is in our sphere of influence, however big or small your sphere of influence might be. And so youth, that means you want to be pursuing life in Jesus, not just for yourselves, but also for your friends, your friends at church, but also your friends at school as well. You ought to be praying for them, that they would hear the word of Jesus and have faith that they would cross over from death to life. Parents, this means that we need to stress less about the outward performance of our children and pray more and care more about their spiritual lives. Pray more about the the kind of priorities your family might have. What will it be? Sport or youth? Playdates or rush? Music lessons or midweek? Church or family gatherings? And for those of you who are not parents, can I encourage you to have the fierce conversation with parents that you know, perhaps the parents who are in your growth group, or or if your grandparents, can I encourage you to have the fierce conversation with the parents of your grandkids? Ask them, how are they showing their kids the priority of faith, the priority of faith in Jesus over everything else? You know, one of the things we've seen in this latest COVID outbreak with Omicron is just how easy it is to infect someone with COVID, right? I wish it was that easy with the gospel. Imagine if we were contagious Christians, if we were Omicron Christians. (laughs) Imagine if the sphere of our influence were not only taught the gospel, though that would be a start, but in fact caught a vision for life with Jesus through the way that we live, whether that be at home or work or school or wherever. Let's be a people, friends, who take Jesus at his word and prioritise life in his name over everything else. Why don't I pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful little passage the one o'clock miracle. We thank you that we see in this man an example of faith, trust, dependence, an ability to take you at your word. Father, we pray that you would help us to take you at your word with all of the wonderful promises that you give us in the Bible. And Father, we pray that you would help us if we, if we don't yet know Jesus, that we would take that step into life with Jesus. That we would seek out somebody who can talk to us about that. Um, for those of us who have been around church for a while, we pray that we would prioritise life in Jesus' name.
We pray that not only we, but our whole household would believe. And we pray we will care about that, pray about that, prioritise life in the name of Jesus over everything else that life has to offer. Father, we pray as we sing now that our hearts would be given to you. And we thank you for the wonderful gift of life that you have that you have done what it takes on the cross to take us from death to life. Amen. Well, I hope our time in God's Word has been really helpful for you today. And I wonder, uh, what is something that has stood out to you? You're going to get a chance in a moment or two to think about that with the person you're watching online church with when we throw up the talking points. But perhaps you're watching and you're not quite sure yet what you think or believe about Jesus. Now, if that's you, then we would love you to come along and join us at the Life Series. The Life Series runs every term. It's a really warm, inviting environment, a place where you can freely ask any questions that you might have about Jesus and Christianity. There's always great coffee and desserts and welcoming people. And so we would love to see you there. You can find out everything you need to know in order to register and sign up for that at hunterbiblechurch.org slash life. Now, as I said before, we're going to have those talking points pop up in a moment or two for you to, to help you to continue to reflect on what you've heard in God's Word. But why don't I pray as we finish? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your Word to us. We thank you that you speak clearly to us. You've not left us stumbling around in the dark, wondering what you're like and how it is that you want us to live. We thank you for revealing your character to us. You've shown us who you are, and most importantly, you've shown us that, that through the person of Jesus. And we pray that as we come to your word, that you would help us to reflect and to be humble enough to recognize where we have not lived the way that we ought to live and to come back to Jesus in repentance and faith, trusting in the death and resurrection of Jesus for our salvation and for the forgiveness of sins. And we pray these things in his mighty name. Amen.